Hey, we're going to jump right in uh, to our message today, and it's honestly uh, so hard to believe that it's the second week of Advent as we look forward uh, to celebrate even now and the birth of Jesus Christ uh, that's going to be coming our way before we know it. We anticipate and we look forward to it. We thank our Father in Heaven uh, for Jesus, and it's just an incredible time for us as a church to, to gather. Uh, today we're going to be in Isaiah, Isaiah 9. Um, a prophecy about this coming Messiah that we're going to look at in a little bit, verses 2 through, I think, 7. We might go to verse 9. Um, but before we jump in, I was going to mention, I was looking this week, every day, believe it or not, there's 350,000 babies that are born. That's a lot of babies. That's a lot of stories, right? And of those 350,000 babies, how many do you think uh, the percentage that were actually born on the due date that the doctor said, your baby's going to be born on this day. How many, what percentage? Just throw out a number. This is like the price is right in this game show. 1%? I heard a 5, uh, 6. It's a 4 to 5% of 350,000 babies born a day are born, uh, you know, that, that could be born on the day they were told they would be born. A lot of unexpected stories, right? A baby's coming earlier. Unexpected stories in this room. Maybe babies coming later. Uh, the babies come when they're ready to come, not with, when the doctor says, I think that baby's going to come on this date. But there's a lot of it unexpected. Uh, when Nat and I, uh, with, our first, uh, with our first boy, uh, Knox, um, there was some unexpected that took place. Uh, for your first child, you plan really well. The room's set, the bag's packed to go to the hospital. And for the rest of them, you're, just, you're still doing that when they get home and just hoping you have a bag to get to the hospital. So as we, uh, she wakes me up at 2 a.m., and says, I think it's time to head to the hospital, of which that's like prime sleeping hour. You know what I mean? 2 a.m.? Um, but we took off and uh, gladly got up, and we took off to the hospital. And as we are heading to the hospital, we live near downtown Centerville area, City Barbecue, Graders. And I pull out onto 48 and begin to head north and past Bill's Donuts. Not a soul out, as you can imagine, at 2 a.m. Uh, in the morning. And wouldn't you know, as soon as I pass Bill's Donuts, a cop comes out of nowhere just flying up behind me. And I thought, oh, I'm not speeding. I think all the taillights work. Uh, there was no turn signals needed scenario in, any, you know, in this driving experience. And uh, so I thought, well, maybe he's not going to pull me over. And we get to Alex Bell. We turn right. We pass La Rosa's. And you know that huge hill that goes down as you're heading to Miami Valley South. And he turned on his lights. And she's like doubled over in the passenger seat. And we're trying to get to the hospital. And it was the first time ever I was ready to outrun a cop and just say, forget it. Put me in the paper. She's going to have a baby on this cop stop here. Um, so we, uh, we end up heading, and, and sure enough, he comes up to the window and does the whole deal. Five or six minutes later, he takes our license back and runs the whole thing. And I was getting ticked at this point. I was ready to leave. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't any of our helpers in the back. It was not Matt or, or Daryl. It was the Montgomery County Sheriff, though. And uh, so we, we left uh, that particular spot. I said, we got to get to the hospital. She is in labor, like, now. And meet me there, because we're not, we need to go. And he, he didn't let us go. But then he came back to our car. And the reason why is because we, we just moved back from Florida not terribly long after the, uh, this happened. And uh, our plates were not registering. Our Ohio plates were not registering to our vehicle. Um, it was a glitch in the system or something. And it was showing that it was still like a Florida car with the VIN and everything. And uh, so we ended up heading to the hospital, and he comes up to the car. She's trying to get out, and I'm like, get away, pal, and uh, help her get into the hospital. And he's trying to still small talk, and finally, finally he left. 
but it was an unexpected event, uh, needless to say. As we were writing down things we want to happen uh, for this new baby, this was not one of them. Uh, Beckham came along. We had a house project going on. Uh, construction workers are in the back with plastic, and she's trying to be with a brand. So every baby that's come along, something unexpected uh, has taken place, uh, something that we didn't want to take place. And when we think of the Christmas story, um, a lot of what happened was unexpected. Uh, the God's people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they had hundreds of prophecies of how this Messiah was going to come. Uh, they thought that finally someone is going to come and and dominate, and wipe out the Roman government, and, and, and prop us up to where we belong in society, right? To wipe out all of the tyranny, and all the heartache that we have to deal with on a regular basis. And little did they know that, that Jesus come in such a way that it was, it was none of the above. And Isaiah 9 gives us an incredible picture of how our Savior, of some characteristics of our Savior, who He is, what He's about, what He looks like. And Isaiah is writing this particular prophecy at a time uh, when the people were under an evil king. There was an evil king that was leading during this time and just doing terrible things to the people. Uh, the Israelites were still under the thumbprint of the Roman government. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't get out from under it. And Isaiah writes really hope to them throughout this passage. And they're in the midst of war. There's turmoil going on all around them. And in Isaiah 9, verse 2 through 7, it'll be up on the screen. You can, you can follow along. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice. When dividing the plunder, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled uh, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And then the nice part starts in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is hope for everyone that heard it, hope for us today. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and, and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish, will accomplish this. To say how Jesus showed up onto the scene was unexpected, maybe even an understatement. Uh, they were surprised. They were hoping for a rescuer to show up, and instead they got a baby, right, that came, that came instead. How many of you are fans and love surprises? Anybody in the room? If, they, if you had a surprise birthday party and you had to walk in with 50, 60 people, would you turn purple and red, and, or would you really like it? I don't know. How many of you like surprises? Raise your hand. How many of you like surprise gifts? Uh, and usually when we get a surprise gift, uh, our instant reaction uh, to that gift can tell whether we like the gift or not. And I want to show you a quick clip of some kids that received some gifts and it was a surprise, to say the least, and also they didn't like it. So watch the screen. Last week, uh, I issued a challenge. I asked the parents of America, 
to put a, pull a little holiday trick on their children. We did this on Halloween with candy and got a lot of response to it. So we did it again, this time for Christmas. I asked parents to tell their kids they were gonna let them open one present a few weeks early. But instead of a good present, I said, put something the kids won't like in the box and then upload a video of that to YouTube labeled, Hey Jimmy Kimmel, I gave my kids a terrible present. And a lot of people did do this and um, they did give their kids terrible presents and a lot of the kids surprisingly reacted poorly to that. What's your, what's your, Charlie? I don't like this. Oh. What is it? An old banana. An old banana? Isn't that exciting? No. What are you doing? Pushing that. Oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> wow. A battery and an onion. What's wrong? I don't want an onion. Did you smell your onion? Here, smell it. <laughs> what is that? I got a, a girl activity book with stickers. I'm not a girl. Me, I'm not a boy. I'm not a boy either. The worst Christmas ever. Little does he know, right? Man, I think of the, you know, the Israelites and the Hebrew people that when Jesus showed up on the, the surprise that it must have been. Um, he didn't come in such a way that it was, you know, went viral online, uh, but came with humble beginnings. Uh, their, their battle then, well, they thought it was geopolitical, right? The Roman government and all the stuff that was going on with them. And they felt it was their right to, to be propped up, to be the ones that were going to be in charge. And yet, yet they were still under Roman rule. And when Jesus shows up, man, they were expecting a king. One to be seated on the throne, looking down and ruling and reigning. And yet, a baby shows up onto the scene in a manger uh, with two parents that probably were way too young to have kids. Teenage mother and a teenage father. Um, the Virgin Mary. Just a crazy story of how our Father in Heaven saw fit to bring the Savior of the world into, into the world. Wasn't a king that was known as, as a royal heir, as we hear today in our world. I was reading an article uh, this week about um, the, the royal couple, Prince William and Kate, and uh, our only claim to fame, we have no fame, but it's our own personal claim to fame, is Natalie and I were married on the same day as William and Kate. Theirs was in the morning, and then Royal Wedding 2, ours, was in the evening. And, uh, Nat got up really early that day because she was so excited to marry me. But it's actually because she wanted to watch that wedding at 4 a.m. that uh, was going on. Uh, but here's what happened when they had their baby recently, uh, a few years back. But this was an article in the paper. And uh, look at the similarities, or I guess the lack of similarities, in how our Savior came to the world and how this little baby that was going to be an heir to a royal throne came into the world. The world eagerly awaited the birth of a baby. And not just any baby, but the royal baby of Prince William and Kate the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. The birth of this body was the talk of the town. The birth of this baby was the talk of the town. Every news outlet and magazine from Timbuktu closely covered the story. Outside of King's Hospital, crowds gathered 
eagerly awaiting the arrival of this baby. There was a mass media outside of the hospital reporting every detail to the watching world as it came through. The hospital, used by the royal family, had a team of well-trained and competent doctors and nurses who got to proclaim, it's a boy, a boy named George Alexander Lewis, or Prince George of Cambridge, and he is heir to the British throne. Gifts of all uh, kinds were given by kings and presidents and religious figures from around the world, and this royal baby was showered with praise and adoration, and so too was uh, Prince William and Kate because of their newborn, their newborn baby. This is how you would think a royal, a baby of such prominence, would come into the world. So to say that God's people were shocked or surprised, like I said, is probably an understatement. And so often we work through the Christmas story. I'm so glad Anson did that third song today and shared what he did. We think of a little baby, right? If, we, if I was to say, you know, draw a picture of the Christmas story. What, what do you think of Jesus when you think of Christmas? You would draw a little baby probably. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and you would draw this picturesque scene that maybe you grew up seeing or, or thinking about. And yet we often forget that he came to be our king. He came to be, to be our, our mighty God, to be our king. And the truth is this, is that we need a king. We need someone to serve. We need someone that can counsel us, someone that can lead us, someone that can guide us. We don't always like the idea of submitting our lives to someone or something, but we need a king. And as Christ followers, we're called to submit our lives and all of our lives to this mighty God, to this mighty king. I want to ask you a couple questions before we jump in and, and unpack this passage. But what if, what if you really can't help yourself in this life? What if life was never meant for you just to, just to live it out how you wish, how you want? You know, go get the job you want, make as much money as you want, just make all the decisions, you rule and reign. What if life was never meant to be lived that, that way? What if we were never meant to be ruling our own lives? What if we truly do need a king? What if we need a, a savior, something bigger than us? For those of us that have been following Jesus for any time at all, we know that we need a Savior. Because left to ourselves, we can find ourselves in some pretty ugly spot. Maybe your testimony today, there's probably repeated testimonies in here today of where you attempted, maybe throughout a whole season, maybe throughout all your parenting years, maybe throughout a big season of your life, you attempted to be the king of your life. And you could point back to story after story of where you blew it. Because you didn't want to follow the king, you crowned yourself king, and you wanted to lead your own life. So I want to read these throne room names that Jesus was given in Isaiah 9. Uh, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor, it's a beautiful name of, of Jesus. Wonderful Counselor. And depending on what you think of counselors or your experience with counselors, you may have a different vision or view when it comes to what a wonderful counselor may look like. Some of you in the room would, would cherish the idea of, of sitting across from a counselor and, and, and they begin to ask you questions and, and begin to unpack something that you need to unpack with them. You would, you would encourage that. You would want that to happen. There's others in the room that you couldn't stand the idea 
of sitting across from a counselor and they begin to pepper you with questions and you begin to share and open up about who you are. But the idea of, of counselor is neither one of the above uh, that, that Isaiah is talking about. That the Hebrew word for counselor here is the king's political advisors. That's what, that's what Isaiah is talking about. The king's political advisors. Not only back then with kings and, and leaders did they have political advisors, but we know that is true today as well, right? Uh, that, that the president has a chief of staff, that he has a cabinet, that he has people around him, and, and, peop- and other leaders around the world have chiefs of staff and, and cabinets and councils that speaks into their, into their life. That's what Isaiah is talking about. They have counselors that can speak into their life. Another way that we can understand this idea of the wonderful counselor is maybe with a, a lawyer or your attorney, that if you are, find yourself at trial, that, that hopefully not, but find yourself using a lawyer, uh, that it is your counsel, right? You're going to go to counsel to get, to get some, some wisdom and to get some knowledge and understand what you should do next. Well, what the Scripture is saying and Isaiah is sharing here is that our Savior Jesus, uh, He doesn't need a, a board. He doesn't need trustees. He doesn't need a chief of staff. Uh, he doesn't need a cabinet. He doesn't need counselors. He doesn't need a group of people around the room giving him advice. He is the one and only, the supreme, wonderful, he's the wonderful counselor. He already has all of the answers. He knows the best way to live this life. Why? Because he is the author of life. The Bible makes so so, so clear of that. That he knows how to best live our lives so that we can experience maximum freedom. So what does that mean for us? What's that mean for us today right now? But what it reminds me and tells me is that God knows how to do marriage and to live out marriage better than we do. So he tells us in here how to, how to make that happen. God knows how to be in relationship with other people better than we could ever dream of knowing how to be in relationship with other people. God teaches us how to deal with conflict better than we could ever attempt to, to, to figure out and to deal with conflict. God knows how to deal with finances and teaches us how to deal with finances better than we could ever imagine to come up with our own way of, of dealing with with finances. All of life, uh, God knows better. I don't, this may be a surprise. I don't know. God knows better than we do. So what we're called to is to yield to this wonderful, wonderful counselor. His intent is to counsel you, to lead you, to guide you. He's the wonderful counselor. And I would add to that, we desperately need, we desperately need him. He goes on in this passage, and, and, and I want to quote something from Proverbs 14, 12 first. It says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Uh, you ever had this idea that you thought you knew right, and wise counsel came around you and said, that's not right, and you went ahead with it anyhow, and it led to death in some way or another. That's someone that takes life into their own hands. Someone that says, I'm the king of my life. I don't need counsel from God. And where it leads is to a lot of pain, leads to a lot of hurt, leads to a lot of turmoil. And there's a lot of testimony that points, points to that. I've never heard this in 16 years in ministry uh, where someone has said, you know what, I, I regret. I regret taking the counsel of my father and following through with it. I regret doing whatever it may be God's way. I regret listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and saying, yes, and I'll step right out and I'll do it. I regret nobody's ever said that. He is the wonderful, the wonderful counselor. 
There's a story in John 6, and this is not a template we want to live out as a church, um, but in John 6, Jesus is preaching uh, to a, a group of people, a lot of religious leaders. There were some disciples that were in the crowd, and he's preaching a pretty tough message, and it's towards the end of John 6 if you want to go read this story later. Preaching a tough message, and finally people thought, I don't like this message, and this is not what I want to hear right now. And they actually got up, and they left. And Jesus, in this moment, as Jesus masterfully does, he looks at his disciples. He says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? Are you going to go? Are you going to go with the crowd? And you can read the, the story. The disciples look back to Jesus, and they, they pretty much sum it up, say, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to learn more about life? Where else are we going to learn more about how to live out our lives than being here with you? Where else should we even turn? We are going, we're going nowhere. We are following you, Jesus, Master, King. And we know those disciples went on to, to change the world. So Isaiah says he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Would you say he's the king in your life? Or are you the king right now? Second part was mighty, mighty God. The word for mighty here would be hero or, or warrior or rescuer. That our Father in heaven had sent His Son to, to fight battles, not the battles that we deal every single day, these little battles, but, but this big overarching battle. And He came and walked a, a sinless, and lived a sinless life on this earth, and He fought the battle. He fought the battle against sin. He fought the battle against darkness and hell and against brokenness and bondage. And the, he fought the battle against the grave and death. And we know that he won. It's a song we just shared, the third song today. And we celebrate that Jesus was on a laser-focused mission from his Father in heaven to defeat in the battle for you and for me. And we know three days later when all the dust settled and he won the battle that he won, and the grave and the grave was empty. When we think of this particular spot in the passage, that he's our wonderful counselor, he's our mighty God. We don't often think of a mighty God at Christmas time. We think of a little baby in a manger. But I got a Christmas ornament idea. Or anybody that how many of you decorate outside? Uh, you can use this one this afternoon and put it out and see what your neighbors think. This other picture in Revelation of our mighty God and what he looks like, our Savior. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on the white horses and dressed in fine linen and white, uh, they were white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp uh, sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with the iron scepter. He, tre he treads uh, the winepress of fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Go put that picture of Jesus in your front yard th this afternoon with a sword coming out of his mouth. And fire coming out of his eyes, the picture of our mighty God, right? Not often the picture we get at Christmas time. But he is our wonderful counselor, and he is our mighty king. And I don't know about you, but I need both. And I need a mighty king that's fighting the battles that 
I have no business of trying to fight on my own. I need a mighty king that's with me every single day through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and so do you. We need a mighty king, a mighty king that's fighting our battles, a mighty king that's mighty to save. That's what the Bible tells us. He's our wonderful counselor, our mighty God. And then it says he's our everlasting father. And this is good news. Depending on what your experience with an earthly father was like, we have a heavenly father that loves you unconditionally. And it says he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, an everlasting father. Jesus says in scripture that I and the father are one. So he showed up onto the scene to reveal to us who the father is. So if you want to understand who God is, look to Jesus. Jesus modeled. He shows the heart of the Father. He shows the characteristics of the Father. He shows how we should live our lives as the Father has and does. And Jesus comes to reveal the Father. Not so that we can be called servants of the Father or servants of the King, which we are, but even a better label, that we can be sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the King. And we read in the New Testament that we are, because of that, we're adopted into sonship. That he calls us his own. It's an incredible gift that he is our everlasting father. It's a father that will never forsake us. A father that will never leave us. A father that the Bible says will always be there. A father that will walk with you every step of the way. And that's not good news for us. That's good news for everyone. That we serve an everlasting father. A father that is present. And a father that is for you. He is the Prince of Peace as well. He closes out this passage saying he is the Prince of Peace. Remember Isaiah, he's writing this. There's war. They're underneath the rule of a bad king named Ahaz. Ahaz had a son named Hezekiah that did some decent things, but Ahaz was not a good guy. And you can imagine this, the, the God's people, the thing they wanted most, I don't know if you've ever just needed and wanted this, was peace. They wanted peace. They wanted to experience peace. And maybe if you could pinpoint the number one thing you want to experience from now until Christmas and, and in the coming days even after Christmas is you would just like for your heart and your mind and your soul to experience some peace. Even though the world is completely chaotic around you, it's like, oh, I can experience the peace of God. A peace that passes all under all understanding. And what we say last week, instead of, you know, looking for the peace of God that he wants to extend to us, instead of experiencing true biblical rest, uh, the thing that we will do is we will just find relief. And it'll last for a day, maybe a half a day or a couple hours. And then we'll get all filled up with junk again, and we'll just need relief again and again and again. And we serve a God that wants to extend to you and to me true biblical rest and true biblical peace. I want to close with verse 10 in uh, chapter 9. It was really the theme that uh, Patrick and I worked together to get the title of this series, um, that for all people, because the gospel is for all people. And it's a word in verse 10. It says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That the word good news or uh, uh, maybe even good message in the Greek could be translated euangelion. And I can spell it for you if you want to look it up. E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N. It's the word that we get evangelist, evangelism, evangelistic, 
good news, good message. However, this word was used even before that in more of a political way. Uh, if the Roman government was to win a battle, uh, to win a war, uh, they would shout, Euangelion, good news, good message, we won. Uh, if there was a law that was passed that everybody liked, that they would come out on the steps and yell, Euangelion, the law was passed, it's good news. When a baby was born to the emperor, they would, they would come out and shout, Euangelion, good news, it's, it's, a good, it's a good message. So when the angel shouts, Euangelion, he says, I come to bring you good news of great joy. There will be peace for those on whom God's favor rests. And let me tell you, the king that's born on this day is going to be a king like you've never experienced before. Most of you like are usually underneath the king, and he's ruling and reigning and telling you how to live your life, and you are under his thumb. This king is actually going to step down from his throne. He's going to walk amongst you. He's going to live amongst you, live a perfect, sinless life. And if that's not enough, if that's not enough, he's going to go to the cross and pay your sin debt. You want to talk about a leader, a leader that no one in the world had ever experienced before? It was, it was King Jesus. They'd never seen anything like it. And we often think a leader is a title, these big titles, and all these people working under us in the nice office and, and all, what you, you name it, power and control. A leader in God's kingdom is the way of the servant. It's the one that throws the towel over the shoulder. They don't care about titles and prestige and power, but they are amongst the people, and they are serving and loving the people. So talk about something unexpected something surprising. They had never experienced a king like this ever in the history of the world. And he says, this king's going to be your wonderful counselor. He's going to be your mighty God. He's going to be your uh, prince of peace. He's going to be your everlasting father. And the thing that he's come to do is make all things new. Euangelion. That's good news. That's a good message. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Isaiah's words centuries and centuries ago pointing to this Messiah to come and what he was going to be about how he was going to lead how he was going to interact and, and, and be with his people and God we thank you for Jesus we thank you that he is our wonderful counselor we yield to him today he's our mighty God that he's fighting our battles even this day he's fighting our battles he is our everlasting Father. When relationships let us down on this earth, we look to the everlasting Father because He is good. And He is the Prince of Peace. Man, do we need peace today, God. I pray that we as Christ followers could embody peace throughout our days and throughout our weeks so that people would look to us and see the story of the gospel radiating from us. God, we love you and we praise your name today.